Welcome back to Redefine You, a conversation for well-being, where I have open and honest conversations with friends of mine in the industry to explore their ownership to self and mental well-being journey. As when one shares their vulnerability in such a way, we're encouraged to look within. I'm your host, Haley Hasselhoff. I'm an actor, model, fashion and well-being editor, but most importantly, a body positive and mental health advocate. As when we start to live a life led of acceptance, we stop resisting to the lack of power in our self-growth. Redefine You is meant to inspire you to look within and guide you to lead a life being grounded in you. Okay, so today's episode, I get to speak to one of my good friends, one of the sweetest souls that I know. He's insightful, he's creative, he's brilliant. My guest today cannot be pinned down. He's a powerful, charismatic singer who has helped make Glee a smash hit. His peers said that he was one of the best dancers on the show. He started his own boy band called NLT. He released a solo album called Boy. He's a hilarious comedic actor with memorable appearances on Zoe 101 and The Office. And right now, he's starring in a new spinoff series of American Horror Stories. Versatile, memorable, powerful, is an excellent combination, and Kevin McHale is all three. But most importantly, I am so proud to call him my friend and so humbled that he has chosen to be here with me today to talk about all the experiences that helped make him the wonderful human that he is today. Welcome, Kevin. That was so nice. Oh my God, I'm I'm I just so want to ex- hear you speak all the time. You have the most soothing voice. <laughs> oh my God, I love you. Thank you. I will do a lullaby anytime. <laughs> just let me know when. <laughs> yeah, anytime I can't sleep, I'm just going to call you and like, just read me anything. I will be your new calm. Don't you worry. Oh, you're way better. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. That tips on me. Okay. <laughs> we've known each other for a very long time. And we talk about this because it's coincidentally enough. We have been friends for a while through mutual friends. We've done, you know, a fun little show together. Maybe doesn't need to be mentioned. We've also, um, you know, just connected on a deeper and beautiful level this past year because I think the pandemic has brought us closer and really connecting with one another on how to check in with ourselves. So the first thing I'm going to ask you is if you were to check in with yourself right here, right now. What would Kevin find? Oh, I would I would find that I think Kevin has gotten off his ass a bit and is doing the things that he has been wanting to do. I think the past year has been a little obviously it's been rough for any number of reasons for everybody. But um, coming into sort of a light at the end of the tunnel moment, I think I feel that and I'm. I'm being social. I'm happy about being social. I'm, yeah. You know, I thought like reemergence into society would be re- really, 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 really hard for me. And I'm sort yeah. of, I think I'm nailing it a little bit. <gasps> oh my God. I think it's you... overall pretty positive right now. Oh, well, I love this. I love that you're nailing your happiness and getting back into society when it can be quite daunting, to be honest. Totally. And I, I'm shocking myself, but I think it's one of those things where after you know being inside for a year where i'm just now that i feel safe i'm pushing myself to do all the things even if that's not being social but even work things i'm just sort of let jesus take the wheel if you will 
opening yourself up to all the possibilities that surround you. That's exactly what I'm doing, Julie. Well, it brings me back to you were one of the first guests that I had on Redefine You, the series that I started on my Insta Live when it was purely just a passion project. And it was the beginning of lockdown. So it felt only natural for us to now continue this conversation as one of my first hosts and guests on this series as a podcast. Yes. But let's 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 start from the beginning, right? Okay, let's dive into to who Kev is. You're born in Texas. But you've been living in LA for the past 16 plus years. Yep. For somebody who is making that big transition right now, which I just did, I went from London back to LA and it was a big enough transition for myself. What was that transition like for you? Was that difficult? Do you feel like you still have that Texan soul inside you? I mean, of course, the Texan is always there a bit. (laughs) It comes out when I say certain words, my love of Southern food, you know, it's still Mm. there. Mm. Um, But the transition for me wasn't too bad. It was hard because I was switching in the middle of high school, which is daunting for anyone. And so that was weird because I had grown up in the same city with the same group of people, even if I wasn't close to them. But you all, you know, you go to elementary school, middle school, you start high school together. And all of a sudden here I was, you know, another part of the country. I knew two people at the high school I was going to, which is why I even went. And but besides that, so it was like, you know, the normal weird high Wait, school. you went to high school in L.A.? Yeah. I didn't even know this. Where'd you go? I, I went to two different high schools. Is that right? Yes. I went to a like a Catholic school for one year. Mm-hmm. Wasn't my jam. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then <laughs> I, I lived up in Santa Clarita. So I went to high school up there afterwards and had a great time, made a lot of great friends. That's why I really started to like feel like I fit in. And mm. it was just nice. It, I felt I loved being in LA. I loved having access to doing the things that I loved to do and didn't miss Texas at all. All my siblings were grown up either in college. The other two were married and had kids. So like they were doing their own thing. So it wasn't like we were all living together and breaking up the family. And did you why did you guys decide to move to LA? Was it your love of acting and that your family wanted you to pursue that in a bigger capacity? Or was it just that you guys all decided that LA was the next step for you? A little of both. I had been okay. coming out here to try acting a little bit, you know, the pi- the good old pilot seasons and things like that. that are Back in the day. <laughs> nightmare. I don't know. And January will ever be the same. <laughs> never. <laughs> That's a good song title. And <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, Taylor Swift song. I don't know if January will ever be the same. <laughs> it was, only told, it was a, only told by actors. <laughs> it's a niche, niche song. Um, my family is all from, they're all, everybody's from New England. My mom's yeah. from New York. My dad's from Connecticut. So they, it wasn't like they were obsessed with the South and an opportunity to change it up, go somewhere else was exciting to them as well. And so it wasn't as if we were moving to LA just for me. Like you're going to be a star and you're going to do this. It wasn't <laughs> like that at all. It was sort of like, well, let's just move there. Cause it'd be nice for everybody. And yeah. you can do that if you want to. And if not, then, I'll, you know, we'll have a life in Los Angeles. And so that also it took the pressure off immediately of me feeling like, cause I'm sure growing up like around actor kids and all that, you know, those parents who, 
like want their kids to succeed and need their kids to succeed for them. Yeah. And those types of things that were, I would feel that when I would come out here for short bursts, the pressure of this responsibility I put on myself, like, oh, well, you know, my mom's taking the time to be out here and I feel like I need to like deliver, which is absurd because it's like 14 and she never said anything about that. It was just me. So moving out here and being able to just have a life regardless of the entertainment stuff was really nice. And I loved it and clearly haven't gone back. Were you the only person out of all of your siblings that like wanted to pursue the entertainment world or was anybody else a bit curious? My sister, who's the oldest, I'm the youngest. She did try it. So she, I was three, she was 19. She moved to LA to try it. The acting thing. It wasn't for her, turns out. Okay, okay. But she loves the entertainment business. She worked for Jay Leno for a while, and then she became an agent back in oh. Texas. She moved back to Texas to raise a family, and now she's an agent in New York. So she's still in it, and she was sort of the one like guiding us to like push us to do it. So when do you think that you found sort of your understanding with the audition process getting into the whole groove? Because I was going to start with, you know, obviously when you were 20, you booked Artie Adams on Glee. But was there a moment before then that you started to feel like, actually, when I walk into these rooms, I need to walk in as the character and then maybe walk out as myself to disconnect the hmm. anxiety of it, you know? I don't know if I've figured that out today. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I hate can... auditioning with a fiery rage. I absolutely hate it. It's a different beast. It's, it's a different beast. It's different than acting in a movie or on a show. It's a whole different, it's a whole different thing. And I, I just have terrible nerves and yeah, that does feel, it's sort of like, okay, I have maybe five minutes to go prove to them that I'm their guy. But there are a couple of things that helped me going into auditions where if I remember one, this isn't actually personal. Mm. To remove, put the wall up. uh, I'm going to do me. I'm going to do how my interpretation of this part. But if they don't like that, that's fine. They have in their head who they want. And if I don't meet that, that's no reflection of you're, you suck. Sometimes I do suck in there, but other times I don't. And so simply, it's not about you. It's simple as you play it. It's absolutely not. And the other thing is like they need somebody. And I think to remind, myself that going in of you why not be the person they need they need to find somebody so it may feel like you come in and they're just judging you but they also want somebody they want you to be the person so those things because it's so mental those things just help me you know talk myself off the ledge of it I mean hey I could go on a whole rant about it I mean there's a whole there's a whole psychoanalysis about just audition processing and you know from the morning you wake up to the second you get in the car to the hallway in the room to then when you get into the room I mean it's a whole process of feeling in a full state of acceptance and I would say that the audition process of accepting is what allowed me to then tap into my acceptance in my own personal life because I started out acting at such a young age like you did and I got taught that from my coach a long long time ago because I was 17 when I booked huge. And then afterwards I hadn't really auditioned. So I was walking in as Haley too much Mm -hmm. and I didn't recognize that I needed to walk in as the character and then walk out as Haley. So there was that period of, you know, when you go into the room, take away the job titles, look at the people and only focus in on the reader. I mean, it's a whole thing, but what I, what I want to ask you is obviously because you were 20 years old when you did book 
Artie Adams on Glee, which was loved and adored by so many fans. And you brought such honesty and authenticity to this project. When you walked in the room, even for that audition, how were you feeling at that period? Because you just got out of high school. You're now living and breathing a high school experience, but you're living and breathing a high school experience as somebody who is paralyzed from the waist down in high school, which is a beautiful story to tell, but I'm sure held a lot of weight before you played that role. Oh, definitely. I had never auditioned for somebody for a part with somebody in a wheelchair. I had had many friends audition for parts of people in wheelchairs. And so I was at the time too, there wasn't a lot of, for the audition, we combined characters, you know, sometimes like mm. there's not enough for the pilot. There wasn't enough material for Artie. So yeah, yeah. I, it was Artie plus a character that ended up getting cut from the pilot. And there wasn't really much of a character description. So it's one of those things where it's like, oh, he's this, this, this. Oh, he, and he's in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of left to like figure out why? Um, how do I do this respectfully? I'm obviously not in a wheelchair. Like any part I play, I want to make sure that I'm doing it authentically, like you said. Yeah. And so I, you know, 20 year old self, like trying to figure out um, how do I go in there and make it look authentic and make it feel like I'm not being reductive and not, you know, I just wanted to do a good, as you go into any audition, you want to do a good job. This had the extra component of a character that was in a wheelchair. And it was funny. The, the weird thing was, I obviously felt weird about that to the extent of, is this okay? But they're having me go in. So it must be okay. Mm. And like when I went into the audition, that was, they didn't, like I sat in the chair for the audition. I got up to sing and it just happened so quickly, which was also mm. really weird. It was a really weird, unique <laughs> audition experience. And I, I, then after getting it, it was sort of like, okay, now I really need to like focus about making the wheelchair aspect of it. Cause it was almost like, you know, when you audition, it was the competitiveness of let me try to get this part. And then once you get it, the weight, the responsibilities on your shoulders of people might see this now. And now I told these people that I was their guy and now I need to, you know, figure it out. And so I did spend time and I like, I went to high school at the community college in Santa Clarita. And so I remember going to the high school and asking some of my teachers or guidance counselors for people they might know who were in wheelchairs so I could talk to people to get their experience just so I didn't feel like, yeah, I was going in without any sort of frame of reference. And I did, it absolutely felt like a responsibility even at 20 immediately to just make sure I was doing everything correctly. And I wasn't, turns out. Um, I, I was getting measured for a season two, before season two for a new chair. And the guy was in a chair who was coming to measure me. And he's like, by the way, you're, I was watching how you were sitting and your legs aren't correct. And it was one of those things of like, oh, so for, for whatever reason, whatever information I was, you know, digesting, that's how I thought I should sit. And like, maybe it was for that person I modeled it off of, but as a general experience, that was not correct. And so he told me, and I was like, great. And from then on out, I switched how I sat in the chair because who am I? Like, no, no, Artie would sit like this. Like, yeah. well, no, this, this is your lived experience. And if, you're telling me that that's not correct. 
there's a reason why you're speaking up to tell me some of that you do not know. I'm the one now representing this on screen for millions of people every week. So let me be, I was always receptive, obviously, to any sort of critique or, you know, motivation to move in a different direction that was more authentic to life in a chair. I think that, you know, the greatest gift that we have as actors is to be able to bring art to embody life and to share stories and to be able to amplify the experiences of other people while also heightening our experiencing and diminishing some as well. Right. And it seems like from you being so young, just coming off of a high school experience, it's now that curiosity sense of, well, what was a high school experience like for somebody who was paralyzed? And how can I bring that authenticity to it with my own life experiences as well? So you, I mean, you did a beautiful job and it's wonderful to hear that you had applauded yourself through, you know, season two and getting that critique and not putting yourself down for it. And instead being like, I'm exploring myself as this character and within his journey and I'm willing and open to all that's recepted around me so that I can live the most authentic life in Artie's life wherever he may go. I do have a curiosity around this idea of, you know, did it start to inflict on your perception of your self-image playing somebody with a disability and then understanding how physical attributes play into our own personal perception of our life hmm. um, on a day-to-day basis outside of being offset, right? Because on set, you're playing Artie and you've, you've got this sense of his relationship with his self-image with a disability. And then offset, you're playing, you know, Kevin, who's getting back in his car. And, you know, do you feel like there was a way of, of maybe a different understanding that you had with yourself growing into it? I mean, there's no right or wrong answer here. (laughs) There was, (laughs) and it wasn't so much about the chair. It was more about um, confidence and Mm. perspective of, I am someone, or especially back then, was like just super self-deprecating, was quite shy and could convince myself that like, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, I mean, it still happens, but Artie was, regardless of him being in a chair or not, he was so confident yeah, and like self-assured and he, in ah. all those ways. Yeah. It was all the things that like, I wish I was in high school. And I mean, he said some suspect things over six seasons that I do not agree with. However, (laughs) his confidence of just like getting like I quit choir. I didn't do theater. I was too like nervous and weirded out to do that. And here was this kid who would just had, you know, seemingly was getting bullied every day by the other kids, but didn't care and was sort of like doing his thing. And that was admirable. And I remember like like you said, leave, when you leave set and you get in your car and you go home, then you go back to Kevin, who's a little more unsure of himself. And then mm-hmm. I get to go to work and play this character who did not care about what anybody thought or what anybody said and would speak up for himself. And that was um, a very important lesson to learn for my personal life. You know, one of the things you said to me in the first Redefine You that we had was that you felt like the the cast of of women on set sort of helped you find your voice. And what I'm hearing from you now is not only did Artie help you find this sense of understanding with confidence and how that brings true in just a high school setting and just a probably a relationship setting, but the people that were involved in your life and your journey in that period did as well. Is there a specific period that you felt like you started to recognize this shift within mm. who you were? 
I think other people did before I did. Oh, I, I got nicknamed like Kevin 2.0. Oh, look at that. <laughs> and then there was Kevin 3.0 and 4.0. Oh, um, where are we now? <laughs> 5.0. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think other people, because I was just sort of like a is wet noodle a phrase. I, I was just going with the flow, didn't really speak up for myself, didn't know how to. Mm. I felt nervous to do that. And I would see, you know, the, the women on set doing that and sticking up for each other and sticking up for us. And it was absolutely formative. And that was um, like, just as the professional side of it was life-changing, that was life-changing because that was my college. Like you go to college, you yeah. learn about yourself, yeah. you, you grow up. And this was my, these are my college years and fully learned about myself, learned to stick up for myself like, like they did. And like Artie would more so than because you can, when you see it in real life and practicality, it's, learning to say no to things like we've talked about, I think, and learning to like, that's okay. And like, this isn't right for me, or actually let me advocate for myself in this situation, which I never would have done. Cause I was always too scared. I was always like, I got the job. So I'm just going to be quiet now and not say anything, but it doesn't just relate to that. You learn to do that. You can apply that to every aspect of your life. And so, yes, I, I started speaking up for myself and people were like, okay, Kevin 2.0, because he did not care. He was letting people know. (laughs) Here's the thing. You know, the reason why I bring all this up is, you know, you're so much more beyond your profession, right? But I bring this up because I do think that sometimes in the acting community, when you do start out at such a young age, it helps influence different things within our own self, right? It helps us start to think outside of ourselves of what we want and what encourages us and our surroundings and how to then really amplify our needs and and identify who we are as people because we're having to then identify that through somebody else. You know, when it comes to self-awareness, I do think that that's something that you're great at. And you talk about it so groundingly and openly about, you know, being involved in the LGBTQI plus community. And during a time, I think when you came out and I don't know this story, so I'd love for you to speak about it a little bit more if you're comfortable, but not a lot of people in the industry spoke about it all the time. And I think you were sort of a leading force into making people understand that the authenticity and being you is so important professionally and personally. And if we can be able to showcase the differences between our career lives and our personal lives, that it's golden. It truthfully is to be vulnerable in such an authentic way in both parts of our important paths. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a a lot of mixed feelings about the coming out of it all because yeah for I think the biggest one is like I just wish I did it I had done it sooner I wish I was more cognitive of it like I during the early years of Glee I was very much I'm not doing that I'll probably never do it no one will ever know because it'll probably ruin my career yeah and then I just stopped thinking about it and I had a boyfriend at the time like a long-term boyfriend everyone around me knew my friends my family my castmates knew And so it wasn't, I was living openly in my life. So I didn't consider really after those first like two seasons, the public ramifications of it or Mm. why that might be significant because I was someone who was like, why would people care? What does, why does this matter for people at all? Like one, it's none of their business. Two, like who am I to think that me coming out is going to like, 
change anything for anyone, which is idiotic for a number of reasons, because I was also somebody who was obsessed with watching any coming out video I could find on YouTube. I loved them. I just loved watching them and they helped me. I enjoyed them. And these are people who were not on a TV show, who were just living wherever they lived and were posting on YouTube. And it was incredibly, it was, it was like, it was reaffirming how I felt about myself. And I remember I had a friend come to me at some point. He's like, why don't you say something? He's like, there could be a kid in, in the middle of Idaho who may watch Glee and already maybe their favorite character. And they may see you say this and it may help them. And again, I, the, my initial reaction was no, like why? No, that wouldn't happen. And then at some point I, talking to another friend, we were like, you know, the, the way I wish the world worked was that an actor or whoever it may be that you don't know is a part of the LGBTQ family. <laughs> it was, can be on a red carpet somewhere or something like, oh yes, this is my boyfriend. Yeah. And there's not a thing. And so that was sort of yeah. my intention. I, so then at some point I made like the subconscious decision that whenever this does happen, I'm just going to, I'm not going to make a thing about it. It's just going to come out. And it did. Like I made a joke on Twitter that I didn't even think would register. And then it, it became my big public coming out. So mm. I'm happy that it did because then I, it was sort of this weight lifted that I didn't know I was carrying. Yeah. And I think it's also a reminder for anybody, regardless of their circumstance or how known they may be or yeah. not. It not only does help other people, it helps yourself because it's not just all of a sudden I've said this and then I'm 100%, you know, my authentic self. It's that takes time to adjust. I've spent 20 at this point, 20 something years, not talking like this publicly. Then all of a sudden here I am presenting my true self to everyone. And I think at that point too, I felt comfortable with, I don't think the world was changing. There's so many people who were coming out as gay, lesbian, trans, and it was really this beautiful blossoming. This almost, it felt like a rebellion against mm-hmm. you higher ups can't tell us that we're not, we're not good enough for this job because of who we are. And I was lucky to benefit from that where I was not, I was not a trailblazer by any means. I was absolutely following in the wake of Kevin. Well, who were- no, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I can't even, I, my heart right now just can't even handle all this because I have to say, I'm so proud of you. And yes, you were a trailblazer at the end of the day. What people don't realize is there is a lot of fear being in the public eye, doing what you love to do. And then also having to share a bit of your personal life and how it's going to be then reflected and then having to deal with that afterwards. And I think for you to feel any sort of fearfulness or feel the, the, the need to have to, you know, give that sort of information out when that's not needed, right? You're allowed mm-hmm. to just live authentically and whatever happens, happens. Like you chose a life to be able to live in somebody else's shoes and, and tell a story on camera. You didn't necessarily tell the chose a life to have to be able to tell every little detail of your personal life. Right. It brings me back to this whole purpose of, you know, even the show here, it's all about 
the strength and vulnerability and speaking openly in the public about our struggles because we have for so long been told not to because it could inflict on us not getting the job Mm -hmm. or people not thinking that we're professional enough to get to where we want to be. And to be honest with you, I just want to say I'm so proud of you that you have gone through all of that. And at the end of the day, I'm also proud that you've identified and looked back at that experience and said, you know what? There were certain things that I didn't want to unfold in that specific manner because I felt like I didn't have to Mm -hmm. necessarily write that story out for people to recognize or to have to bring it into an article as like the main topic. But it is what it is. And I see that now I'm living my authentic truth. And I hope that somebody else can do the same. And I think you're just so beautiful in everything that you do and, and just the man that you are. And it really does ring true to the fact of privacy in this industry. And a lot of times of feeling the uh, pressure from public's point of view that you necessarily have to share everything and give a, mm-hmm. a an answer to everybody whenever they ask. And that's not always the case. And then you shouldn't be condemned for it either. If you yeah, agree. I, I think we <clears throat> being like a millennial ish nah. growing up, like we still grew up when there was like the mystery of, of the quote unquote celebrity of the musical artist or the actor where you didn't know everything. And that was sort of the good part where there was that intrigue surrounding somebody. Like when Lady Gaga first came out, it was like, who is this person? (laughs) But she's sort of like a good indicator of how the times have changed Mm. because she went from being this sort of unknown, mysterious person for a couple albums to being somebody who was so open and with all of her personal struggles and mental health and physical struggles, where that is how everything has transitioned. And I do think you go on TikTok and there's, my TikTok is just a bunch of like, you know, 15 and 16 year olds like coming out as bisexual and all these things. It's like, this is great. Yeah. Because if I was a kid seeing this, that would have helped me so much being that mm-hmm. young and having people being able to like have a dialogue about this and talk about it. My nieces and nephews being able to grow up seeing gay YouTubers who are their favorite YouTubers and like wanting merch from these people at Christmas is mind blowing. And that is that is so nice. So there's the two things. Like we come from the world where people intentionally withheld information because yeah. professionally you weren't supposed to give those things away. Yeah. And now it's gone to the extreme. So I do think like maybe there was a bit of a learning curve where we are sort of or speaking for myself, like stuck in the old ways of like, well, you don't need to I don't need to give that to you. But at the same time, maybe it's helpful for other people. I think it's very helpful to be able to identify what I, I mean, just even from this little conversation that we've had today, it's beautiful to know, like you've, you've brought so much authenticity to so many things professionally and personally and being able to have people identify and have people understand that normal is just being you. Normal is authenticity. Normal isn't, um, you know, a box that we all must live in. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful gifts that we can ever be given and, and, and so forth. And I, like you said, I do think that TikTok and where our world is today is very different from where our world was. And so it's amazing to hear sort of the journey in which we had to get to this mm-hmm. place of being able to even come onto something like this and talk openly about mental health exactly. or mental well-being. I wouldn't have been in this place either. If you would have talked to me five years ago, I would have, you know, kept my mouth shut and, and said, let's move on next question. You yeah, know, there's but nothing I- like a <laughs> pandemic that really just 
<laughs> evens out the playing. Yeah, puts things in perspective. Being like, okay, everyone, what really matters? Because yeah. and why are we not talking about those things? Because exactly. it is such a waste of time. We know life is short, life is fleeting. And like, why are we not taking care of each other and making sure that other people know they can come to us to talk through these difficult things without any judgment? And yeah. you are obviously the depiction. Also, for anybody listening, Haley talks like this all on and off a podcast. She is just like the like if a safe space was a person, <laughs> it, it's <laughs> it's Haley. You just Aww. want, to, and it's probably hard for you because I imagine if you're surrounded by people who just like unload everything to you, who they just want. But it has uh, energetically, I feel like that must be because maybe sometimes you're not always in the frame of mind or mm. always receptive to that. It's like a big responsibility because you're absolutely somebody who people are like a moth to the flame. People must just go to you and tell everything about themselves. Oh, I love you. I mean, but I you're think- so good. You're like the best person to talk to about it because you're so receptive and supportive and always have just a great positive spin on everything. And oh, it's very well, helpful. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it, likewise to you. I mean, that's why I've been drawn to you since the second. Uh, we had the, the the best gift in 2019 was that we were reunited. And yes. the, it was a it was a gift that was needed during that time. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about that show actually earlier today going like, you know, I don't think that I even I even identified that I wasn't in a great mental health space during that period. And I think I wasn't in a place to put myself in a position um, where I didn't have a hold or control over where my emotions were going to take me. Mm -hmm. And I think that showed. And uh, I wish that I was in a place where I could have even identified that with myself. And that's what it showed me this past year is like, be more vocal with even yourself in those periods of time to know that to validate that process, which you know, as we all know, the industry brings anxieties. And uh, the whole reason as to why I have these conversations is that we have had to combat our fear of the unknown as part of our professional lives and bring it into our personal lives and still show up and do the dang thing, you know, without shame, without guilt and without restriction. So uh, let's jump in a little. So on your challenging days, which we all have, mm-hmm. how how do you show up for yourself? How does how does Kev show up for Kev? Hmm. Sometimes I don't know if he does, <laughs> but Aww. I think. But I'm saying I just I just said to you I, I'll thank you. I didn't show up for myself during that period. I was you know that was uh, I we could t- that's another yeah, show but that's another show <laughs> that I yeah. also learned some things about myself during that time <laughs> that I was shocked like I, I I think I mean we can use that as an example because like yeah. I did have some tough times and I think. When something starts where if you have anxiety or you have depression or you have, or you just wake up angry, like yeah, sometimes you don't, a lot of times, I think, at least for myself, you don't immediately recognize what's happening. Mm. You're doing certain actions. And maybe by the end of the day, you're like, looking back at this day, this is, you know, these, all, all these small parts have added up to me being not myself. And like when we were working on that show, <laughs> I will leave it to your imagination, everyone. <laughs> I um, I was like riddled with anxiety and thing, and I wasn't sleeping, which like has never happened to me ever in my life. And yeah, I, yeah. And I didn't know why. And then I felt 
it was like, I think the self-imposed shame of, because I had never really felt like that of this is what's causing it. Like this silly show that should just be fun. And am I doing it to myself? Is it other people around me? And so I think it's showing up is being able to have somebody else recognize what's going on or you being able to step back and be like, okay, hope like pause. What is happening to me? And then what am I going to do to get myself out of this? Mm. And that may just be somebody help me. You look to the nearest person around you, like, I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. And usually the people closest to you do our best at recognizing that and our best at helping you get out of whatever that rut is. I pride myself in having a good, a really strong, um, intuitive and informative, intelligent group of friends around me who are very different. And like during Glee, when people recognize Kevin 2.0 coming out. You love it. It's it's like that. We're all super close where we can tell, like my roommate came in the other day. He didn't say anything. I was like, you okay? He's like, mm. and he just like walked off. We started laughing yeah. because, you know, you don't need to verbalize that, but that helps when you are going through something that you don't want to necessarily have to say that something is off or that you don't feel great. And being able to have people around you who can recognize that is just so, so helpful. And I think maybe me showing up for myself is me having people around me who um, can help me when I need it. Yeah. But I, I, I think of that, right. And as a beautiful example in the sense of why this is so important to speak about our vulnerability with one another and also in a public form as well, to show that you can normalize the conversation is because I wish that when I was doing that show, I could have came to you in a place without mm-hmm. shame and gone like, hey, I'm about to have a panic attack going on the stage and I don't know how I feel about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think that, you you know, you probably, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think there probably was some sort of emotion that was being triggered somewhere outside of yourself in a surrounding that was making you feel riddled with anxiety and without sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's then that that thing of checking back in and going like, okay, I had that process how do I become, you know, Kevin point six or whatever, <laughs> you know, in the sense of now knowing that if that trigger comes in, what do I do to combat it? You know, like what do right. I, how can I, how can I identify it so that I know that I can take control of it or at least walk alongside it without having that fear to it? Because I think when you have fear towards it, it gets bigger and it gets heavier and you don't know how to control your own way of thinking if you're going to be okay, or you're going to get through it. And then add on top of that, obviously showing up yourself professionally, it's like a whole, right. then you're in a freaking spiral. Yeah. So, because they absolutely obviously intersect and cross yeah. over. And it's like, if you're not taking care of one, then that's going to affect the other and vice versa. And I, it's, there's also something too, where like doing what we do, where we're so lucky to have the opportunities that we have and to do what we do and et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes that for me, it's like embarrassing then it's like, okay, this like thing that I'm getting paid to do, I'm getting to do what I love is somehow like messing with me mentally a bit. Like, who am I to like, what, like, it's the shame of the self-inflicted shame of like, well, this is silly. Like, I can't complain about this, but it's irrelevant because it's all usually indicative of a bigger issue. Like this is just presenting this issue that you need to work through in this way. And it's also like everybody's circumstance is different. So it's then reminding yourself of, no, it doesn't matter why it's being caused or who is causing it. If it's happening, it's happening. 
Like that's undeniable. Yeah. It doesn't matter Validation. where or when. Yeah, exactly. And so that is also something that, you know, having to work through to be like, what? You no, know, you deserve to be able to feel this way and then get through it. It's fine. You all deserve. No, I, you know, one of the, one of the worst things, and I'll just be real here, but I hate when people are like, they identify their pain towards somebody else's pain and go, well, I shouldn't feel this because that person feels this. And it goes, no, 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 wait, hold on. Everybody's pain is validated and how they feel and when they're feeling it. And you should be able to appreciate yourself for even noticing the fact that you are going mm-hmm. through something validated, be aware of it, and then figure out what's going to serve you in that moment. And if you don't have the answer, well, I'm telling you here, there are so many beautiful resources and communities that are waiting to hear from you to help you find that answer. And I think, you know, one of the things you spoke to me so beautifully about, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic was that you found that toolbox to meditate. You were cooking banana bread. You, you know, you, you, I never you made were, you any banana bread. Well, I stopped you never, you, I, I, Banana bread. Come on. You, you live with your, your partner. Austin is like, is like a shoe theft over here from the yeah. bakery house. Like, yeah. I'm like, I don't, you guys are just amazing, but you found ways to hopefully combat this past year. And I want to tap into that. You know, what was this year like for you and how, cause it seems like even speaking about that experience that we had in 2019, you've grown so much to where you are today to actually take ownership of that validation when you are feeling something and then learning how to be able to walk alongside it. And I'm curious to know what, you know, what is that process and what's the process been like for you this past year? Well, I, I, and I think we talked about this too before where the good thing or the sort of light within the pandemic time was that everybody all over the world was going through, except New Zealand and Australia, because <laughs> they really got <laughs> their stuff handled. But the rest of us um, were going through the same things together. And mm. I just, like the waves of what was happening. And I could, I'm on Twitter a bunch. I could see it there. I could see it in the news. How people were feeling, it was this universal like trajectory we were on where at first there was all the fear of what's happening. Then it's like, Oh my God, I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to work out and meditate or learn to bake banana bread. All those things that I've been putting off or paint your nails. Like I just saw on camera. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Sorry. That was really, well, really sidetracked, yeah. but I just went, wow. And Next level Kev. Next level Kev. I'm so into it. Sorry. Go on. I'm going to stop now. Oh, but I, all that is to say that we, the highs and lows were experienced together. And that is helpful because it's, there's nothing worse than feeling like you're isolated and alone. And that was already happening because we literally were isolated and alone. But to know that the, feelings and i know people who this couple that lived in montreal like they were having such a hard time mentally that they transplanted their entire family with their kids to costa rica because they Mm. needed so people were people were dying surrounded by death which is just which was incomprehensible and then you have people at home who are dealing with maybe some people aren't good at being by themselves anyway everybody has their thing and as this went on longer and longer um the sort of funness of it all wore out really quickly. And it's like, okay, how long are we going to be in this? Because it doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. And when we talked, it was in the beginning and I was very much in that I'm meditating. I'm going to bed early. I'm waking up early. Like 
taking care of myself felt great. Having a great time. Yeah. It's like, you know, it turns out I like to be alone. So this is, this is great. <laughs> and then like the summer happened or I was like, oh, we're going to be in this for a while. Um, one of my best friends unexpectedly passed away. And that sort of triggered like this, like, oh, now we're just going to go down. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I think that was the case for a lot of people, regardless. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was hard to, I probably didn't even recognize that or how that was affecting me until like November or December. And that yeah. was in the beginning of July. Obviously yeah. knew like upset, grieving, all the things that come with it. But it's that on top of the state of the world where you're already in this weird mental place because, you know, was like half a million people in the U.S. have died and around the world, there's dozens of millions of people. And you're just like uh, politically and there's um, Black Lives Matter happening. And it's like, what? what is going on and i think from the once george floyd got killed it was almost like this global reckoning like something snapped even more everything had already snapped and then the world just because we're not dealing with any there was no superficial issues going on everything now we're talking about historical systemic racism which is like okay i'm now having to learn the things i was never taught about who we are as a people in this country that I grew up in. Yeah. And yeah. that is like a whole, and then you have friends who aren't on the same page with you about that. And yeah. that is a weird thing. And so it was, there, it was just like heavy thing after heavy thing. And these heavy things are good because they obviously bring up channels in which like things you need to work through. They're always educational things to get out of them. But at some point, I think when you don't have the ability to like go out and release that in any sort of way, it it just co- compounds in your like, I don't know. It feels like you're floating out in space with nothing to grab onto, and yeah. so the rest of the year was rough. But it wasn't until I didn't say out loud until like November or December, like, oh, this is because Naya passed away, and yeah. I'm like, not. I I don't think I've dealt with that. Even having the great group of close friends that I have, where it felt segmented because like you can't even go see people you can't even do those things and then it immediately puts you in perspective of like can you imagine mm-hmm. having family members who died of covid who mm-hmm. their sons or daughters or mothers or fathers or grandparents like you couldn't see them in the hospital and so it really yeah. everything was reminding everybody of everything because it all was connected and it was just sort of the perspective of oh this is rough like this is just tough and it's tough for everyone and that's okay. And yeah, yeah that was, <laughs> that was the rest of the year. Just unloading no. on you. But. No, no I, and I thank you. And I thank you for being so open to sharing and, and to talking about your process, because I think at the end of the day, 
we've all had this world collectively remind us of the anxieties that we're surrounding together. And the beauty of it is that we, like you said, we're doing it together in the beginning. So we felt this, this unity of it's okay to not be okay. But then you add on top of that, everyone's personal experiences with it. Right. And then you gets layers and layers and layers and layers. And that's when you start to sometimes shut off and go within when actually you need to be receptive and go outward. Right. And Mm -hmm. you need to be able to open up your energy so that you are living and experiencing it, but at the same time, not letting it take a hold of you where you're not able to process and let go and move on, but instead process and grow. Right. Um, it's, it's a lot. And I, I, I can't, I can't imagine the experiences that you've been through. And I know that we've all been through them this past year Mm -hmm. when it comes to like your emotions and such, what what have you done? I mean, what what where do you think that realization did come from? You know, November, December. I know that for myself, I've had great times in this pandemic of being like, I love that I'm able to speak about mental health because it's actually helping me and it's making mm-hmm. me feel connected to people, even though we're so far away. And I just love it. And then I've had moments where I've had days, you know, in bed and I've had really challenging times of getting up and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And I've had to remind myself to be okay with knowing that the things that may have served me once, if they don't serve me now, don't judge yourself Mm. and don't think that you're in a worse space because those things aren't serving you. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like say, for instance, before you were like meditation works and now it's like, Meditation's not working. Oh my God, meditation's not working. Now what do I do? It's like, well, hold on. It's okay to know that the toolbox actually needs to be a lot wider. And sometimes you're not going to have the answers, but maybe the answers are going to be sourced from an outsider's point of view of how to understand yourself in this period of time because it's unfamiliar. Exactly. I mean, the only way you learn to deal with the toughest situations is going through them. And yeah. like you don't, I don't wish that on anybody, no. but so it's like, if you don't have the answers and like, luckily sometimes it's like, Oh, I'm glad I don't have the answers for this because I haven't gone through this. And there are people who have, and because they have, they have the knowledge to be able to share with you, to help you get through it and give some perspective on it. Because I think what you said is exactly right. Where there also, there's just not a, a one size fits all bandaid for all these things where the meditation might've worked for this set of things for example, Mm. but when you're dealing with this set of things over here on the other side, that's a completely different prescription and you may not even know where to start to look for it. And so, and you only get, you know, a solution by putting yourself out there and being vulnerable to other people who be like, Oh, you know, who you should talk to, or it's like, Oh, actually, and you find out things about other people. Like, well, actually I experienced something similar and like, what? And Again, like being in a pandemic and being isolated from people makes all of those things a bit harder. Um, because I think the longer we were cut off from the rest of the world, the more the easier it is to just stay in that bubble. Like in the beginning, I was FaceTiming everyone, talking to, yeah. every, you know, we did this. Yeah. And then as it gets on, you're like, okay, well, what's the point? Because like, we're just going to be here by ourselves. And today I'm just going to stay in bed all day. And that's just, and that's going to be fine. Cause what am I missing? I can't go do anything. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it was the situ the situational um, aspects of the past year didn't help 
probably anybody mentally because the things that you need to help you a lot of times were not able to be accessed. Do you think that your like mental health journey sort of developed over this past year into, into surprising yourself as well? And now it's going like, okay, there's a new aspect of my life that I now need to be aware of moving forward to see if something like that creeps back in. But I mean, I know that for myself, a lot of the days in which I've felt hopeless have been inflicted because of situational energies that I have then gotten into my mind and overthought something and then, you know, allowed that to take a hold as if that was my reality when in fact it isn't my reality. Um, and, you know, it's like in those moments, like you said, speaking to people is, is really helpful. Like, you know, you kind of need to have someone to be like, hold on. Let's put things into perspective, but it's that first, it's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's that first step forward to pick up that call to have people go like, is this person going to understand? And that's where it's so beneficial to have friendships like this. Cause even if me and you don't talk all the time, I, I do have a feeling that, you know, if I was in a very deep place and I didn't have somebody to call, I knew that I could probably call you and say this, Likewise, yes, you know, and I think not a lot of people have these sort of relationships. And it's like, so how do we shift the narrative, right? How do we start building those relationships with people that we want in our lives, but that we know that we can call on if we are feeling depressed or we're feeling, we're feeling all different of emotions, you know, mm-hmm. we're feeling all the, all the emotions and we just don't know how to navigate them. And we need somebody to tell us that it's okay. Um, you know, what? How, how have you sort of, Re reworked your relationships this past year to allow yourself to go deeper, to know that you have more people than just one person to call on right. if those moments arise? Um, I think it was because I'm someone probably like you who I'm always about everybody just be open, blunt, honest. There is no judgment. Like you yeah. are not in control of what you feel. So like there's no judgment on like it is what it is. Yeah. And why would I judge you for feeling how you like, let's get it out, out in the Mm. open, let's air it all out. Yeah. But here I was not doing that. And I think that, isn't that so hard to recognize? It it felt hypocritical in a sense, but I didn't care because I was just down. I was probably experiencing some form of depression, which I've never had in my life. And I think like I was having a conversation with Austin one day and he was just like, it's like, I just know what's up with you. Like you seem unmotivated. You seem blah, blah, blah. And it's like one of those things where I had in the back of my mind, I knew my, well, however I was appearing to friends or to people, all of it was based off of basically state of the world and Naya passing away. Yeah. And if those things are always there, like they're, of course they're going to be to an extent. Well, cause it's so recent, mm-hmm. but like, what am I doing to help myself through that because I, I, I wasn't. And he was him being able to say like, this is how you're coming off was surprising because mm-hmm. that's not how I'm thinking. Like, mm-hmm. I know I'm unmotivated, but I'm not thinking about it in the terms of, Oh, I'm so unmotivated to do things in my head. I'm like, I don't want to do things because like what's real in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the perspective mm-hmm. shift of, reality versus like this stuff over here doesn't matter and this looks and this looks like I'm coming off as unmotivated which I was and I was like yeah I am unmotivated like one of my best friends passed away and I'm still working through that I haven't been able to like see her 
family. I haven't been able to like do these. I've been able to see some of my like Glee friends, which has been great. We're all super, super close. So that's super helpful. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? You don't, you don't know how to handle this. I mean, the other thing is like, yeah, we've unfortunately been through this a couple of times, but every time is very, very different. And this time was even extra special different because yeah. it's when you have a world full of people dying from a pandemic and then like this unexpected, yeah. this seriously, crazily unexpected tragedy happens. Mm. That's hard under the most normal of circumstances. Mm. And so I just think being able to voice that it was one of those like late night kitchen conversations, you know, <laughs> I hope and, Kiki was involved. <laughs> yeah, probably. And I think he was probably just like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know if I can cuss. Sorry. No, you can cuss. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, he was, he was like, what the fuck is going on? Because it probably looked like it was coming off like I was being rude to him or like not being as affectionate to him. I was just like, I am in a rut. Yeah. I'm just in it. Like I was working on a, a project with one of my friends and we had to write all this music and stuff in the fall. And I knew... I had exactly 0% motivation to do it. Now I knew I should be doing it. And so in my head, I was like, I'm just going to show up. Like I'm just physically going to show up. And if I have the motivation to do, and that was my way of sort of pushing myself, you know, to get out of bed, to do something else. And I don't know if that was helpful because it's not like they, the people I was with couldn't feel that I'm sure, but it's one of those things like, okay, am I going to regret more not getting back on the horse of, doing, you know, living every day, like the, your daily life stuff that you have to do mm. because it's a vicious cycle, isn't it? It's like, well, I didn't yeah. do this. And then am I going to make myself feel bad about that later? Like ugh, you didn't even do that. And so it's that, and this is all, all of these things are new to me. Yeah. Like when Corey from Glee passed away, it was entirely different where we were all together. We could sort of grieve together mm -hmm. ball on each other's shoulders go to each other's houses it was a lot of that this was we met up a couple times you know like outside socially distanced sort of things um or in smaller groups and it was nice because we'd all just get together and sit in a circle and talk but at the same time it's i just think like the circumstances in which Sorry to keep talking about this, but it was no, it was, no, please. I, I think what I'm what I'm hearing from you as well is it's, and I wanted to bring this light because I've always stuck it with me from our first conversation. But it's you, you said before that that the pandemic was going to be stages of grief, right? So then add the stages of grief of just the pandemic, and then the grief of losing a friend, and put those two together. I mean, that's that's a that's a hefty hefty ask. Yeah, and it felt like that. It, it did feel like I don't have the the tools to work through this. And sometimes because, it can be scary. It can be yeah. scary when you don't feel like you have the tools because you've had the tools before per se. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So now uh, you're a different situation, but had mm -hmm. the tools once upon 
And yeah. now you're in a place where it's like, I don't have any of the tools and I don't know what tool to take me next. And, and throw that the, the life circumstances that we all had as creative beings, we weren't had, didn't have the opportunity to go on to set and express it through, you know, showing our emotions through another outlet. You know, you were kind of conformed in a place where you didn't have, you had to probably create those opportunities, like you were saying, mm-hmm. to be able to get that creative outlet that you needed to be able to feel like it was being poured out in a way that felt authentic and mm-hmm. familiar and understanding to you. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of what you have said is that you did go to, you know, your friends and you did say, this is what I'm feeling. And they help sort of navigate you just go, okay, this looks similar to what I'm feeling. And when you feel that way, and when you start to validate it with a word, or at least for myself, like social anxiety, I've never probably used that word for since the past, you know, two years, maybe. Right. right? But now that I have that terminology, I go, oh, my God, it makes so much sense. That's what I had when I was 14, 15. And it starts to, like, take that weight off of your shoulders. And you go, like, oh, my. Oh, it's okay, Mm -hmm. girl. You just had social anxiety. (laughs) Like, you're totally fine. (laughs) You know? But, like, before, when you couldn't put a word to it, you were, like, hack on all the bricks on the back, baby. Mm Because I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going (laughs) down. (laughs) And you're, but so, you know, when you start to actually speak openly about identifying your feelings and putting them into something that maybe somebody else has experienced once before and they've survived it, you're like, hell yeah, I've got this shit on lock. So, you know, I think I maybe- think you need to write a children's book about social anxiety or depression and have a kid with a bunch of bricks on their back. I'm no. just. I mean, or it can be, it can be something no else. No one would ever get into construction. They think it would be dangerous. <laughs> it's such a good, that's such a good visual though. It, it's exactly, it's like, well, just load it all up. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. Well, I mean, you seem like you are in a great grounded place right now. I hate using the word like, oh, you're in the best place ever because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I feel yeah. the same way. You know, I have it's moment by moment, but oh, yeah. it seems like you're in a grounded, self-aware place, which is such a beautiful place to be. Like, it, even if there's emotions flowing in, flowing out and moments to moments, like as long as you know that I'm aware of what's to come and I feel mm-hmm. a little bit more freer to know that I've been through it, I'm figuring out my tools. I'll know where to go next. I think you're in a in a in a solid place. Solid place. Definitely feels better. And I think also it's those subconscious things of like maybe the state of the world feeling a little better is helping yeah. those other things. Like when you know there I hate I've used this phrase like five times already. Okay. But when there's a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, People get People get you know, it. People get it. People the get vaccines. it. The <laughs> <laughs> Like when you, when you know, like there's opportunity to, it's just when you're locked inside all the time, where as good as I was about reminding myself, it's fine. Just let it happen. If today's going to yeah. be a rough day, then just let it be a rough day. But at some point, the monotony of that is really hard because it's like, okay, when is there going to be a good day? And getting some good news, getting, being able to connect with people, getting, you know, having people reintroduce themselves into society a bit Mm. really does, or for me has helped. 
and even acknowledging like the social anxiety of like reintroducing yourself into society the that's fine and that's and i also think now what i do feel is that everybody and if you don't then you got to work on it. <laughs> not you but other people <laughs> but like going out if somebody straight up says to me now i feel like the filter has been cut off which is great yeah, yeah. Where i feel like it's been stripped of like you know what i actually don't feel like going out tonight to see you but i would love that no shame yes no shame because i think we've had to this past year we've had to learn to open up we've had to for survival we've had to learn to share or even reading other people saying how they feel everybody is experiencing the same thing and so now that we know that we've all felt these unfamiliar or maybe they are familiar to you feelings some dark some good and now that we all can all admit like a lot of the times when i say i want to go out i don't and it feels good to cancel like those <laughs> things like now let's stick to let's like stick to our guns and actually mean what we say yeah. and so if it's just like you know what no or I'm, I, I actually feel like i need to go see this person today or i just want to stand and watch a movie by myself no matter what it is you have every right say it and if somebody doesn't respect that then that has nothing to do with you move along bye-bye because we only got the time is limited we have and you should be doing exactly what you want to be doing how you want to do it and yeah. that's i think that's what we've had to i've and taken I, away and i think that's authenticity i think that's true pure authenticity in all aspects of your life and relationships as well which is an important thing So we're going to just do some simple little questions at the end that I asked every person on the episode about what makes them them. We talked a lot about personalized toolboxes. I want to know what was the last thing you used from your toolbox when you had a flare up or a challenging moment? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> last thing I used for my... Um, sometimes... It's going to sound really lame. Oh. No, I love it. I don't know if this is a toolbox. Everybody's toolbox can be theirs. It's personalized. But sometimes you just need to. <laughs> like the other day, I just like blasted music and just like danced around the house. Amazing. And every now and then, and then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to sit in silence and watch something mindless. Yeah. And like allowing my brain to shut off in that way, like for a day or an afternoon and not make yourself feel bad about it. The guilt. It can yeah. be so helpful to me at least where it's like, everything's overwhelming. This is happening and this is happening, this is happening. And I'm just gonna, let's just belt this song out real quick till I'm hoarse. I'm gonna sing incorrectly on purpose. And then I'm gonna watch some anime and I'm gonna feel good tomorrow. <laughs> Cause I gave myself a break. It's learning to like, Put, press pause on your brain for a bit. Hey, for people like ourselves, sometimes that can be the hardest thing to do is just to check out completely in a yeah. holistic approach. It's it's um, hard. It's hard <laughs> to check out, and yeah, I sometimes I have to force myself. I'm really like I'm sitting on the couch, and Austin's like he calls me. He's like, "What do you What did you do today?" It's like nothing, absolutely <laughs> nothing, and I feel great. Tomorrow I'll be back on it, but today. Nada. <laughs> Don't come over. <laughs> I'm not getting off this couch. Well, I love it so much. Okay. If you could sum up your mental well-being journey in one word, what would that be? I would just say 
progressing. Awesome. Progress. Awesome. I love it. The visual comes straight to my face. It's like <laughs> I'm in a computer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lastly, we've done this once before, but we'll do it again. What are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? Words, feelings, saying stories, whatever comes authentically to your beautiful noggin. Be kind to yourself. It's a big one. Yeah. Um, like just be easy on yourself. Harder uh, than it's hard. When you need to be, that's when it's the hardest. Yeah. Um, be kind to yourself. Be kind to <laughs> older people. Oh. Elderly people. Be kind to like, hear their stories, you know? And also like it's okay to say no. Mm, boundaries at the best. It's okay to say no. Well, I just want to say yes to you. Say <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for your vulnerability, your insight, for sharing, for always being so open to just, I mean, if if any, you, I don't think anybody knows, like Kevin has gone along with all of my craziness over the past year of coming up with different ways to get our voices out there vulnerably and helping people understand that it's okay to not be okay. You have gone along with everything. And I just, as a friend and as a confident, it's just so beautiful to see somebody else that's so willing to say like, it's okay to feel these emotions and let's feel them together. I'm and glad I just, you're doing this, but I'm just thankful you're creating this for people to hear because there's, it's such a waste of time to not be open. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you can, we help. And I'm, I'm, it's hard to do that all the time, but like the yeah. sooner we can break down those walls to speak openly to your family or friends, whoever you may trust someone you don't know, maybe someone on the internet, the, the sooner we will all be a more empathetic and understanding and healthier community. I uh, completely, completely agree. And I want to continue the conversation with you always. And I just adore you dearly. But if anybody that doesn't already follow you wants to be able to reach out and to look into all the greatness that you're doing, not only professionally, but most importantly, personally, um, go to his Instagram, which is at Kevin McHale. His Twitter is Drude did D R U I D did. And then TikTok is at Mr. Kevin McHale. Thank you so much, honey, for everything. You're the best. Thank you for having me. You are the best. If you are looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetic, authentic lifestyle, then this should be the podcast for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self and to always remember to lead with the three M's. That's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. You have got this and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe, download, so you don't miss an episode. And remember that it's okay to not be okay in your journey to becoming grounded in the power of you. Now, some of the topics we discussed today may have been a bit triggering. So if you are in need to speak to a crisis counselor, please text home to 741-741 or head over to activeminds.org slash MH resources for curated resources ready to hear from you. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan Dematty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Harinagay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler.
This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.